0: Welcome back to Sustainable Society Cafe, where we explore the most exciting emerging technologies and how they fit into the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. I'm your host, Tanner Glenn, and today we are welcoming back a friend of the podcast. For our listeners, he needs no introduction. But if you've not heard previous episodes, I'd like to introduce Felix Dodds. He is an adjunct professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's also an author. He's written and edited over 20 books. And he's played a major role at the UN in advancing stakeholder engagement and sustainable development within the UN system. So Felix, thank you so much for joining us again. We're so excited to have you here. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Looking forward to talking about the book.
0: Yes. And the book that you're referencing is called Tomorrow's People, and new technology. It's what our series is based on right now and today we're going to be talking about home life. So I know a lot of us have become very well acquainted with being at home over the past year in particular, but the reality is it's going to look really different in 2030. So we're going to look into the future today and think about how it might look different technology-wise and how it might be a little bit more sustainable and just better for our needs in the future. So Felix, thanks so much again for talking to us about this today. We'll jump right into it. Now, can you paint a picture for us? If we were to walk through a home in 2030, what would that home look like?
1: Thanks, Stan. Yeah, of course I can. Uh, And I think that a couple of the things that will frame that is that in the future, we're going to have a need to conserve water. And so it's estimated by 2030 that we'll need we'll have a shortfall of about 30% in water availability over our needs. And um, we'll have the same for energy because there are more people in the world. And so the requirement for energy is going to be much greater. So we need to conserve energy and we need to conserve water. So both of those will play a role in, in the houses of the future. So the houses of the future will, if you're walking through it, you know, your bathroom will probably have a toilet that will tell you where if you're ill or whether you're well. So that's really interesting. Uh, You'll have a situation where you'll use less water for your for your showers. You'll have a situation where the mirror in your bathroom can probably tell you whether you've got your makeup on in the wrong way or the right way. It might make suggestions of how you might change it. It might order you uh, replacements if uh, uh, you actually need different types of um, of makeup. You'll go down to your uh, kitchen, and you'll find that in the kitchen, that again, the the washing machine or the um, dishwasher will use a lot less water than it does now. You may in fact have a uh, a unit on the outside of your kitchen which is actually collecting water from the atmosphere, uh, so that you can at least have enough to drink if there's a problem with uh, drought. So. Some very interesting things in the context of that, your fridge, your fridge may, because food waste is such a big thing in the United States, uh, it may be able to tell you whether your food is coming uh, out of date. It will tell you that you need to eat these. It may reorder stuff for you. So I think that the house of, uh, or the kitchen of the future looks really interesting. I think in your um, living room, it may be that the walls uh, become your um, TV it may be that your room reconfigures because when you're no longer using it as a uh, recreational place it may become your workplace so lots of different things and then of course your energy will be provided by solar panels or solar tiles on your roof so uh, you'll be able to be energy sufficient those kinds of things
0: it sounds like a place i would definitely want to live Uh, for those of you who were born in the 90s like myself Hearing Felix's description may recall uh, the movie, Smart House. Ow! You didn't tell me that thing was going to bite me. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just Pat's way of getting to know you.
1: Angie Cooper, age 9, 52 inches tall, 62 pounds, blonde hair, brown eyes, 12% body fat, had measles and one early case of pneumonia, no broken bones. Whoa. How'd you know
0: all that? The bite. The bite you felt was a tiny microscopic blood and tissue sample. And she analyzed your DNA, registered your body temperature, and then broke down your entire medical history. Wow, impressive. Hmm. The thing about Pat is the more time she spends with you, the more she learns, so before long, she's gonna know more about you than you know yourself.
1: That's kind of creepy, isn't it? I mean, it's like Big Brother is watching you, only Big Brother turns out to be
0: your house. But hopefully, this will not end as as tragically uh, as that movie you know I think that we have certain controls and and the house won't uh, completely go haywire Um, I think it'll be better for us so uh, interesting to hear how (laughs) our living situation might change in that regard and how the house might be smarter now let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned with regard to having energy generated at our house so what do you see that looking like in terms of what we'll have on the home, in terms of, you know, solar panels, uh, batteries? And do you think that we'll be generating energy for uh, just ourselves?
1: So uh, before I answer that, I can't resist to go back to the smart house Disney example that you used. And the answer is we don't know because we're seeing hacking of many different things by outside powers and it could very well be that your house is hacked and uh, that things happen in there if we don't get proper security for the internet of things which is what your house is basically being based on so security for houses is really important for the future we, we don't want smart houses kind of grouping together and attacking us which is a bit of a worry but i think on the issue of energy you know clearly microgrids are going to be an important part of it and we saw in texas where you know, traditional energy sources went offline so the ability for having uh, microgrids linked into the national grid well in texas this case it's not even linked into the national grid but uh, linked into the national grid offers an ability to deal with disasters or or hurricanes when they happen so i think that's very good but it's also important that we have a circular economy so there is an argument on whether we should be selling solar panels, or whether we should be renting them out and ensuring that the, uh, when they're at the end of their life, that they're actually recy- their bits are recycled and not put into landfill.
0: I think that's a great point. And I mean, all this has to deal with growth and how we're going to retrofit and reimagine where we live to make it more sustainable by 2030. So thinking about just on a more macro level, cities in general. We're seeing an increase in the urban population, and that trend looks to continue through 2030 and certainly through 2050. We're going to see the rise of megacities. Could you explain to us what megacities are? And as cities that are currently not megacities grow into these, will they be better or worse places to live? And how do you think they'll grow sustainably?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, you know, Megacities are cities that are over 10 million. And so to give you an idea that in 1950, we only had te- two cities that were over 10 million. We, by 2030, we'll have 33, many of them in developing countries. But we need to try and make sure that those cities uh, use uh, more greener technologies as, they, as they're being developed. And that's an important issue in the sense of making it available to developing countries so that they use new technology and not old technology. I think it was uh, Buckminster Fuller who said that it's best way to predict the future is to design it. And so we will be designing better cities, but the reality is that most of the places we live have already been built. And so it's very important that we retrofit. And that's part of what uh, President Biden's infrastructure bill will do. It will help us to address all the people living in existing uh, accommodations or working uh, in existing uh, workplaces and make those much more sustainable. And that's really important.
0: And just thinking about how people are living right now. So in many urban environments and even outside of cities, we have roommates, I know that's true in my case, we have people living with families in multi-generational situations, particularly after COVID. How much of this do you think is due to changing tastes like you talk about in your book? And how much do you think it actually has to deal with the uh, affordable housing crisis?
1: We we didn't really address the affordable housing crisis in the book, because the book is more, uh, though it has a lot of U.S. examples, it's more of a book for everybody. But something like 28% of uh, the U.S., live in single households. And so it's clearly a growing issue. And you've seen the the move to tiny houses where people are recognising that they should be living in smaller areas. Another development has been that of the shared or co-living housing movement, so that you are only, in a sense, renting a room which is predominantly just for for sleeping. And then the rest of the, the accommodation that everybody has is a joint space to so for entertainment, for cooking, for for watching TV or whatever. And one of the uh, companies that um, is behind this is uh, Hub House. And their slogan is rent one of our rooms and find your tribe. This is, I think, uh, a, re- a reference to this next generation being much more interested in communal living than perhaps previous generations.
0: Oh, definitely. And this is personal to me, but I have two sets of grandparents. They're both retired. And we're seeing what's being billed as the silver tsunami play out, which is basically the idea that baby boomers are retiring, and because it's such a large generation, you know, we're seeing this silver tsunami. In my own personal experience, we're starting to have to think about how do we help our grandparents receive care? And we've realized how expensive it is both to go into facilities and also to receive care at home. How do you think robots are going to help Fit into this space by 2030, both in terms of treating patients and for companionship.
1: So um, there's a really good example out there. It's called the Sophia robot that's produced by Hanson Robotics. Hello everyone. Sophia is the brainchild of American roboticist David Hanson. I created Sophia to humanize
0: robotics, to make the robotics and artificial intelligence technologies that we have today more accessible to people we were surprised by the level of celebrity that she
1: gained is this my good side i need to look good for my fans very much designed for what we're talking about to help those who are in need of uh, helpers uh, elderly patients or el- elderly people living by themselves and so that would help them with companionship. So it allows them to talk, but it would also help them in the context of uh, checking their physical Treatments to make sure that they take the pills at the right time if they have an accident, to be able to inform people straight away that they need uh, service. So I think that's going to grow, and I think that's a really good area. But it's not the only area that they're using robots. And Sophia appears to be multiplying in different forms. This is little Sophia, a doll-like educational robot for kids. Getting
0: ready to teach my friends how to code on Python and Braggie.
1: We're then introduced to Hansen Robotics' newest family member. Grace, born out of the needs of the pandemic, Grace is a medical robot. Aimed at assisting the elderly at a time when human contact can be deadly.
0: Grace is designed as a platform that can autonomously go to interact with patients, while at the same time taking biosigns, bio readings, taking temperature, then deliver
1: these kinds of um, social stimulations for alleviating loneliness. Loneliness kills people. Loneliness makes people depressed. You're seeing a kind of a little Sophia being used for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics help for younger children. So I think a robot in the house will play a number of different roles. It may be helping the younger people with their education. Uh, It'll be a different robot, perhaps that's helping an elderly person with their life choices.
0: Well, and you're talking about robots inside the house. What about robots outside the house or building houses? Do you think that we'll be seeing more 3D printed houses and how do you expect new technologies like the blockchain to affect the home building and the home buying process? And are we already seeing this happen?
1: Yeah, we are. There's, uh, I think in 2018, there was a 3D house printed overnight in California. So that reduces the cost because you're not using physical labor to produce it. So that will bring down certain forms of housing if you're prepared to do that. Uh, The blockchain plays a really important role. And I think it's an exciting one in the context of if you're trying to sell a house or buy a house. We had a situation with me where I'd lost my deed of the house for six months. Well, if you have blockchained your deed and all the information about your house, uh, so that when you sell it, it can go to a blockchain of the person who is buying it. You you are able to ensure that that is digitally protected. That will save you a huge amount of time. And also, it'll give you a peace of mind that you haven't thrown away the deed by mistake. Yeah, this is something
0: I really welcome because, you know, I, I've been moving a lot. So I've been having to keep track of my social security card and my birth certificate and all these other paper documents that, I, I lose very easily, so I'm happy that we'll hopefully be able to uh, attach some of these identifiers to the blockchain so that I won't have to keep up with all these papers. And I think a lot of people are going to uh, welcome that as well. Well, Felix, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about what home life might look like in 2030. I know I'm excited to see what my living situation looks like in 2030 and how many robots are living in my home (laughs) and again if you want to dive deeper into this topic you should buy felix's book tomorrow's people and new technology and also subscribe if you haven't already and we'll be in your ears next week felix will be back and we'll be talking about travel which is my favorite hobby and how that will look in 2030 so we're really excited to welcome you back next week felix and until then felix thank you so much see you next week
1: thanks bye